Welcome to Where Others Won't, episode 74. If you're just finding the show, I hope you'll check out some previous episodes, which include guests like Leinster rugby senior coach Stuart Lancaster, former Leinster and Ireland flanker Aidan McCullen, and former Australian netball head coach Lisa Alexander. My awesome guest on this episode is Galway United men's head coach, Lisa Fallon. Lisa has a vast array of experience across men's and women's football, Gaelic football, and she's also a standout pundit on television. I will say we recorded this episode a little while ago before Lisa had accepted her role with Galway, so keep in mind some of the timescale may be off. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Galway United men's head coach, Lisa Fallon. Hello, Lisa Fallon. How are you? I'm really good. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. I am really looking forward to this. We've been planning this for some time and it's good to be on the phone again and and be able to chat coaching. And most of all, though, I'm really excited to hear your answer to the first question of this series. So I've asked this to all the coaches that have been on. But when I say the tough stuff to you, unprompted, where does your mind go about coaching? when I say the tough stuff? Um, it probably goes to the people, the people that you coach. Um, because in my experience, every person, there is no one set way of coaching. Um, you always, as a coach, have to have that capacity to adapt um, to the environment that you're in, the culture that you're in, and to the, the needs of the people that you're working with. Um, so for me, often the technical and tactical side of the game is generally the easiest part. Um, I think the toughest stuff generally comes from, um, you know, the dealing with people and, and learning about people and, and learning with learning about how, if you get the person right, if you get the person into a good place, the football player naturally evolves from there. Um, and the other side of it is, um, as a manager, probably the loneliness that can be that when you're on the sideline and things are not going your way, that's often that lonely. It's a really lonely, even though there's lots of people around you, it can be quite a lonely space too. So um, for me, that's probably where my mind goes when I, when I hear about that. So we're going to loop back to your first answer there, uh, but... Let's keep going on the loneliness front because that's a core part of what I've written about in the book. And it's really interesting to, I guess, pay attention to how much it's actually talked about at really, really high levels, but not covered. And what I mean by that is I grabbed Arsene Wenger's book the other day and on Kindle, you can search by words. And so I searched lonely and I think there's 31 matches for either the word lonely or loneliness 
in Arsene Wenger's book. Right. And so it's this topic, it's this thing that people want to talk about or managers or coaches want to talk about and they're saying it's lonely, but we tend not to go there because to your point, they're always around people. Like coaches are always around people. And so it's this weird space where it seems silly that someone would be lonely, but <laughs> Eddie Jones and Arsene Wenger and yourself and me, <laughs> everyone's saying this is a really lonely endeavor. It's kind of this weird <laughs> in between, isn't it? Yeah, I think it's, 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 it's a loneliness. It, it's, more like an isolation because an isolation in thought um, and an isolation in um, decision making and in emotion almost because they're often just moments in time as opposed to um, there being any longevity to it. Um, my experience of it would be that you know you, you you come in on match day, you have your team meeting, you've already collaborated with your coaching staff, um, your medical team, your players, and you have your game plan. And all of that work is done. You come in on match day. Um, and then the game kicks off. And then the game becomes a very fluid entity. So lots of things will happen in a game that you couldn't have planned for or that you might have prepared for in case they happened. But often mo moments just happen in games whereby no amount of preparation could have prepared you for, or they might be scenarios that you just didn't think could have happened. Um, and, and that's, it's though it's the decision-making in those moments where you are quite isolated because there is no real preparation you can do. And that's where it's in those moments you rely on your experience, your, um, the words of the people around you, the value of their input, their opinions, um, but ultimately, as a head coach or a manager, you must make the decision in that moment. And it might be a moment based on factors that you just haven't encountered before. Um, so there's lots of things that come around it. But basically, it really is, um, you know, it's a loneliness in terms of you can listen to all the words and the opinions of your coaching staff or the people around you and, and, and all of your experience and your gut instinct and all of that as well. But at the same time, you still must make that decision um, and in very quick space of time because decisions in matches obviously have to be made relatively quickly. So it's a loneliness in terms of that isolation in terms of that you are the one that's drawing on all those experiences very quickly to make that decision in that moment in time. And it needs to be generally a moment, you know, a decision that you feel happy about that you've made the best decision. So I think the more experience you have um, going into those moments, the better it is because you've more experiences to draw on to help you make a good decision in that moment. When you're, when things are going really well, you experience it less. But when when your team doesn't win or you concede goal or you have a bad defeat, um, everybody relies on the head coach or the manager to lead the team, um, create the environment going forward. And and that's where it's it's not necessarily a loneliness, but it's certainly where you feel um, everybody relies on you. The responsibility of it 
feels bigger when things are not going well as opposed to when they are. And I think you have to learn to be quite balanced that you don't get too high with the, the good times or too low with the bad times because generally you have to believe in a process and create a process that you believe in and have confidence in and that you just make adjustments on that along the way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a couple of threads there. There's a, a string of research out of Stanford that points to emotional exhaustion as a factor in driving loneliness. And so obviously for people in leadership positions in general, not just coaches that, yeah, it's actually not that physical isolation of loneliness that we traditionally think of. It's that weight that you're talking about, the weight of leadership and expectation, both from the outside world, but also the expectation of, just caring about the people on your team, that's actually driving loneliness into itself if you believe that research. Um, And then, like you said, there's also the uh, being sturdy in your plan and confident in your plan when things aren't going well. (laughs) And, you know, we see this happen quite regularly where there's call for change, but you want to stick to the plan. And, and so you kind of have to dig your heels in a little bit. And again, that, that takes, that drains you emotionally as well, but it also, it does, uh, like you said, that decision-making process uh, feels lonely. Yeah, I think it's, it's right. And it's a very, it's quite a complex space. Um, I think, you know, it's, um, it, it is. And, and it's, it's about, you know, when you talk about the exhaustion um, I think it's really important to be, certainly in my own experience as a manager or head coach, and, and even in in relation to working with the managers that I have done over the last decade, um, I think one of the things that's really important is to understand as a manager the importance that you place on you being fresh. All the time we work so much on our players being fresh and their fitness, and that they're um, recovered. But often when you've got so much and so many burdens, instead, like a player just has to look after themselves. Whereas as a manager or a head coach, you have not only your players, but also your staff to to look after. And I think it's really important um, to place that investment in yourself to have your own recovery time to have that self-reflection um, and to have that opportunity to, um, you know, think back, reflect on your on your time, but also, okay, recognize I need to have balance here from, because it can become exhaustion. It, it is 24 seven. It's a, it's a, it's a, football management is a unique role whereby it's you know there's a lot of attention on it it's um it's you know you're dealing with a lot of people all the time everything is consistently a moving part as soon as the full-time whistle goes in one game you're straight away on to the next one um whether that be reflecting on the one that's just gone um and then how you move on to the next game and prepare for that one so it is it is relentless so yes i think you're right in that it is a relentless pursuit Um, of excellence same as a player but as a manager you have to strategize all of that for your players and your staff and 
but you also have to make sure that you give yourself enough time to recover yourself, reflect and plan, and then activate what needs to be done next. Um, For me, I certainly felt I learned the hard way maybe to just that it it became so relentless that, I mean, I I remember there was a time where I, I was so tired I couldn't remember stuff. My short-term memory was just really poor. Um, You know, I'd think back to a game that was last week and I'd be going, who scored the second goal? And what was the build-up? And little details I found that I sometimes just couldn't remember off the top of my head. Um, And that for me, I just thought I was tired, but it was only through education, through um, coursework, pro-license, Um, I did the League Manager Association's Diploma in Football Management. And it was during the course of those um, educational experiences that I actually learned how important it is to actually look after yourself and to recognise the moments when your body is physically um, and emotionally, uh, you know, mentally telling you, you need some downtime or you need an hour or you need 20 minutes just to relax and recover um and how important sleep was i remember gosh there was times probably in 2016 where you know my schedule was so relentless flying all over europe to games and and workload on top of all of that you know getting stuff ready for matches and you know you're rely you know you're almost surviving on 3 4 hours sleep but you know <laughs> i think there was a time when we wore that almost as a badge of honor but I've actually learned that that's not the case. The less sleep you have, the less well you are going to be able to function. If a player reported in their readiness that they had only had three hours sleep and their sleep quality was poor, it would straight away raise an alarm bell with you and your coaching staff and your medical team. This player might need to be modified today. Um, And based on their physical readiness to train hard so (laughs) sometimes we shine those lights on all of the other people around us but uh, you know as a manager and a head coach you have to understand that you've got to get that piece right for yourself so that you are capable of making the good decisions that you're fresh enough that you um you know that you're well um because and that you bank as much as you can because there will be phases where you are going to be exhausted and you are going to have to go that extra mile and things are going to be stressful. And particularly in the era that we're in, particularly this year, 2020, with all of our experiences of COVID-19, I think, you know, what we've had to learn to do most of all is to adapt because you can have the best life plans, but they can just change at a moment's notice. Um, and it's about having that capacity to adapt Um and having your mindset in a good space to be able to do it. Um, And I think there's been a lot of learnings. Certainly, personally, I've had a lot of learnings in the last two years. Um, I look back to the coach and the manager, or the coach that I probably was two, three, or, you know, three, four years ago. And, you know, I, you know, I know myself, I've grown a lot, I've learned so much. um, And, it's it's all massively important experience. Um, it's important to consistently give yourself that space and find that space to go for a walk or to go for a run or to uh, take the dogs out or to just 
20 minute pause in a day just to switch off not not 20 minutes on the phone <laughs> catching up on messages it's a 20 minutes off and it's amazing how much it can help you just to recharge just to reset um and to take those and, and I all I actually diary them in now I diary in <laughs> um pause moments in my day just to and you know even if I'm eating I, I eat I don't eat whilst typing and it's it, again it's it might just be a 15, 20 minute space, but it's amazing how much of an impact it can actually have on you um, in terms of your freshness. Um, so that's something I, I personally have learned in the last probably 18 months. Um, and I find that I'm maybe not working as many hours, but the, the hours that I am working are still long, but they're much more efficient. Um, and probably less procrastination of things that that one thing when you're tired and you're in your day and you're going oh and it it, it ends up on Monday's list and at the end of the week it's on Friday's list <laughs> you know but again little the little things about you know tackling that stuff when you're at your freshest first thing in the morning um and um but yeah I think it's it's certainly a space that as as a manager and a head coach and, and any any anybody really, you have a responsibility to look after yourself before you can look after the people around you. And you know, that 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 for me is a big part of the responsibility that we have. Well, you've just summarized my book in much more succinct and beautiful way than I have. So thank you for that. I I think I'm gonna use that, that snippet as an ad. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, but that but that's exactly it is, and and this is the tough stuff, right? Because it, it it's this push and pull, and of you have this idea that you've always got to be available, and you've always got to you know be studying film, and you've always got to this and this and this and this, and all of a sudden you've you've just built twenty hours of work for yourself, but. Yeah, you are hired for your brain, like you said, and and so you know, as a coach in particular, what I'm imploring is you have to take care of that that brain. And we know, like we know, the neuroscience. We're we're the experts in human performance. This is literally what we do on a day to day basis. But we're we're taking none of our own advice. Like you said, if a if a player showed up with a couple of hours sleep, they probably wouldn't even practice. Uh, and the impact on the brain and decision making and and awareness is much higher than it is for just physical output as well so we're impacted more and i think that's going to be a a real game changer for coaches in general is when we start to apply these lessons for ourselves you know i think i think our coaching practice is going to go through the roof let's circle back because uh, we haven't really talked about your kind of pathway through but you started in radio is that right yeah yeah I think um it was always my ambition to work in football um from when I was a small kid but I guess uh, you know I, I probably didn't really think it would be possible to be a coach or a manager because when I was a little girl you're talking back in the late 1980s and I just didn't see any women in football so um and I certainly didn't get to see much on TV or 
that so I just I felt probably as a female I, I I knew there would be opportunities to work in in sport as a reporter so I pursued that and it was ultimately actually through my work in in that work interviewing managers and players and you know reporting on games that um that I ultimately ended up finding a way into the professional game first as an analyst um and then um as a as a coach as I progressed um so I started off as as an analyst an opposition analyst and then I did my I had my B license at that stage and then I progressed and did my A license and I was coaching more um and I was very fortunate to be working in some really really good environments um where there was just so much learning available you know and I I was like a sponge. I wanted to learn as much as I could. I questioned things. I I watched. I observed. Um, I listened. Um, and you know, you constantly then do your next course, then go out and practice all the stuff, and make your mistakes, and get stuff wrong, and learn, and reflect, and and say, right, next time I'm going to do it this way, or maybe I handled that one really well, and I didn't handle this one as well, and. You learn constantly. Um, and then, you know, it just got to a point where now, obviously, um, head coach, um, I've been a head coach this year, um, was my first time to be a head coach in professional football as such. I've been head coach in semi-professional or amateur um, football. So, um, but again, the, the role is is pretty much the same. It's just a level that you're doing it at is, is slightly different. But often a lot of your experiences are very similar, believe it or not. Um, but then each level of the game pres- presents a different level of pressure and a different level of expectation. Um, the more professional it is and the higher and the more elite level it is, obviously results cost money and cost jobs. So the pressure is on a bit more and um it's um but i have to say i love it i absolutely love it it's um it's it's such a unique journey it's such a unique space to work in um and it's something i just genuinely really really love yeah that's how i came across you was when i was writing where others weren't i was looking literally around the world for who's off doing different things who's coaching in different environments and you know i ended up writing about how many you know board members or executive members at az alkmaar don't come from a football background for instance and i came across your name because you were i think at the time you were working with cork city you're also doing some work with the northern irish national team and potentially even at the same time dublin's senior men's football team were they all at the same time or were they kind of scattered it would have been about 2017 yeah so definitely 2017 I was certainly um with Cork City and the Northern Ireland men's national team would have been the two roles I had at that time so I had I was in both roles really for about five and a half years um in two parallel roles so it was it was it was incredible to be honest with you. Um, really, really enjoyable. And then it was towards the end of 2017 that the opportunity presented itself to um, work with Jim Gavin and the Dublin senior men's football team. So I felt at that time 
I had having been in the Northern Irish space and the with Cork City, having been in those two environments for such a long period of time, I didn't want to plateau um, as a coach. And I felt it would be a really good opportunity to experience another culture and another sport um, and um, deal with different players. Um, And it was just a brilliant learning experience. Um, I loved it. Um, And it was really interesting from my perspective to see how um, certain things from one sport could transfer into the other and how others couldn't. And, and just looking at things through a completely different lens and, and watching things um, be done through a different lens was really, it was such a, an interesting year for me. I really enjoyed it. Um, and again, working in an environment where it was just a relentless pursuit of excellence in performance. Um, you know, they had won three in a row at that stage and were going for the fourth in a row. But, you know, the the humility in the group, the the work ethic, the focus on performance, the um, the relentlessness of it. There was no cessation in the hunger for or appetite for what they do. And that was a really interesting piece for me because I'd been with Cork City where we had pursued, um, we were the chasers for three years in a row before we eventually reached the, the, the holy grail as such of, of actually winning the league in 2017 and the double in, in 2017. So, and it was interesting because when you pursue it for so long, there's almost a fatigue associated with success that when um, a team achieves it, you've pursued it for so long, it's can you generate that hunger and that need to win again? Um, so that's what was really interesting about the experience there was 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 that that, that difference and and how um, how they how they approached each new season and and each game and it was it was just so so you know it was such a privilege to be involved I I, I loved it um, and um, and yeah and and then really from there it was just about stepping out of an environment of environments that I was comfortable in I felt it was really important to come out of my comfort zone as well um and um just so that I could grow again as a coach um and as a person um because every experience that you have I find is is an opportunity to stretch and I I really want to continuously do that because I think you have to yeah I've had some conversations with some people this year to that effect in that you know there's Jobs are obviously at a premium now. A lot of leagues, like the AFL, has imposed a, a cap on staff, for instance, so people have lost their jobs, and, and that's terrible. But ultimately, I, I don't necessarily agree that it's a bad thing. And, and what I mean by that is that I think there's a lot of value in us all kind of taking a step back. Uh, maybe some people go back to a semi-professional level, an amateur level. Maybe some people go and get jobs day jobs that they didn't have previously they might have come out of university and gone straight into a professional sporting environment but there's there's so much to learn about the world when you just kind of take that step back or go into a new environment that ultimately is going to develop us as people and and i think make us better coaches like having to go and be an analyst on television would you know certainly sharpen you and your analysis of the game (laughs) because you're watching so much just one example, or going and working behind a bar um, and having to speak to people constantly and 
storytell and all those different things. Like they're, they're life skills that can apply to coaching that I think, again, are really, really valuable, let alone like what you did where it's step into a new sport. Let me change direction here. We talk about identity a lot in coaching and we're all a work in progress. So I'm curious, who is Lisa Fallon or perhaps who is Lisa Fallon right now? Um, right now, I'm someone who genuinely loves what I do. Um, I certainly know um, my values. Uh, um, I've learned a lot. I learned a lot in the last two to three years that I think have really formed the type of manager and coach that I've become. Um, some of those were really positive experiences. Some of them were really negative. But I think you have to have the negative experiences um, to help you formulate and understand who you are. Um, I think that's a really important piece. And also, by doing the different courses, I've learned. Um, I've learned about you know more about how I think and why I think it like I, I know what I stand for now I know what I believe in now I've been able to test things that I thought I'd like to do or that I wouldn't you know necessarily have thought I would have done that now I've gone do you know what actually I need a bit of that too so it's um I think you know are, are you ever a complete article? I don't think you are. I think you're always an evolving piece. Um, and, you know, every group that you work with will require different things from you. Um, every team that I've worked with, every culture, how you fit into a culture, how you, how you lead, all of those things I think are really important. But, you know, in order to work with people and help get the best out of people and help facilitate them to reach their own potential. Um, I think, yeah, you have to know yourself and um, know the environments as well. Know, know what environments are, are right for you. You know, would I take any job that came along? I wouldn't. Um, I think you have to have a certain alignment with the club that you're involved with and you have to have, um, you know, similar motivations. You have to have similar vision um there's lots of things you have to have commonality in um and and then also you obviously have to have really good people around you people that you can trust people that you know are authentic and and people who you want with you in the good moments but more importantly often <laughs> as it ends up being the people who will be there for you when when things are not when when things are not always going to plan, and the one thing you know about football is you're not going to win every game. You're going to lose games. Things are not going to go your way sometimes. So it's about having um, having yourself ready for those moments so that you can deal with them, manage them, and um, reflect on them, and then move on. Yeah, what I've been thinking about recently because I've always struggled to answer this question myself. Like, who who are you? But the thing that keeps coming back, and this has actually been said to me by a bunch of different people, is to your point, like the the adaptability based on the environment in that you're not going to be the same type of coach if you're in a winning program that's won five or six straight versus if you're rebuilding. And so for me, it's come back to this idea of like being a chameleon 
and playing the role that you need to play in that environment. Because I think potentially where a lot of coaches get stuck is, you're right, they have this one idea of themselves. The idea doesn't have any DNA of the club or elements of the club or the circumstance of the club. It's just who the coach is. But it doesn't actually work like that. It, that it's the pairing of those two that's what's important. And, the, and so, you know, like I said, if, if the club's not doing so well and you're in a rebuilding project, well, yeah, you either might not be the right coach um, and it might be a mismatch or you're going to have to adapt because the players can't play to your game style. Like I know Solskjaer is one who's talked about that quite a bit at Cardiff. It's like that was a complete mismatch. One, the club was just a mismatch with him. He was just a mismatch with the players. The players couldn't execute his game plan, right? And he kind of had to learn the hard way and get shunted (laughs) shunted out before he was like, oh, okay, well, yeah, I can't just go and implement Manchester United under Sir Alex Ferguson at all these different clubs and it magically works. And he kind of had to go on and fall over in that environment for him to learn that. Um, well, I think I think that's I think that's really the point. Like that, you can have your idea and you have your philosophy, and you learn that you form that when you're on your coaching courses and you do your assignments, and uh, and you so you you come away from those with what you believe is your philosophy. But it's only through going into different environments and testing it that you actually learn really what what your philosophy is, or what your core principles and values are that you want with any team that you're going to work with, but how you apply them to the different environments and that that way it, it have that alignment and that adaptability. But I think, you know, certainly from my own experience, I know when I did my B license, I thought I knew knew it all. And then when I did my A license, I thought I knew everything there could possibly be to know about football. And then you do your pro license and then you take all of that into a a team that's a a semi-professional team or an amateur team um, of lads who are all ex-professionals. And then you take it into a full-time, some of the best players in the world in a women's team. and, and, And then you do the same with the men's team and you learn and you take it then into an environment where, it's not even your sport. It's a different sport, but still a really high-performing environment. And that, that's when you really learn to test your philosophy, test what you think you know about how that actually works or how can you um, adjust it and adapt it to make it better um, or how can you apply it in the right way to the needs of the environment that you're in. That it's not, there is no set formula. You don't come out with you know, you're after your coaching courses and have this lovely binded book and go, that's my philosophy. That's what you yeah. think you come out with. <laughs> but when you when you actually get down on the grass and you start working and you start coaching and you start dealing with players and, you know, players of different capacities, different abilities, different needs, different mental states, different physiologies, um, different different beliefs having been coached in certain ways um it's only then that you start to realize hmm, maybe that one's not going to be on my philosophy when I rewrite it and I think it's a constant rewriting you're constantly rewriting it and I think what happens is 
as you progress, instead of the book getting bigger, it actually, your points of reference become smaller because you then know these are the real core values. These are my real core principles. And these are what you can bring to any environment. And then from there, they grow. Um, and I think from my own personal experience, that's more what the way it's been that you can't write down about every scenario and have, you know, a library. But it, you will. <laughs> but the library will become your 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 experience. Um, and 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 all the different scenarios that you've been in um and and i also believe in mentors as well i think it's really important to have mentors and to have people to talk to um and learn from their experiences or have the opportunities to test your own thinking against some of theirs um i think that's been a really valuable part of my journey as well um is you know having that opportunity to speak to people who've learned different lessons um, and, and just how do you, um, you know, because sometimes you'll, you'll, you'll always come across a situation where you've not really encountered it before. So do you just go and make a decision, um, based on what you know, or do you take the time to think about somebody that, you know, who might've encountered something similar and have an opportunity to talk to them and maybe listen to some of their experiences and will that change your decision? It may or may not, but it, it might help you make a more informed decision. Uh, um, so yeah, like it's, I think it's always, it's, it's always a moving feast, always a moving feast. Um, and, um, and just for me personally, I, I just feel like, I know it's a bit of a cliche, but I genuinely do feel that every day is a school day. And I, I really, I love that opportunity to learn or to see something in a different way or, um, just to add layers to 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 the own the experiences I've already had, I think it's it's great to consistently be able to do. But I also I need that uh, as a person. I need that. I need to be consistently evolving and consistently changing and and looking at things because it's it's kind of in my nature. Um, and um, and I'm, you know, you have to almost become comfortable being uncomfortable. Um, I think it's important to be consistently able to take yourself into space where it's just not easy. You, you need to get, have challenges all the time to, to help you grow. Yeah. And how great that that is the case in that every day is a school day and you get to learn every day. And I, I think that's, that's the goal of coaching is that it's, it's something new every day. And to your point, it, you know, you could have won everything, you could have done everything, but all of a sudden the team's not performing and you've got to figure out how to get them out of the funk. And, and yeah, like that's what's great about it. There's no one way, there's no one way to coach. There's no one, there's not tactics or technical elements that are the same universally. And so we all get to be human within what we do and, and go through those ups and downs. Like that's where I think the magic is and what we should be enjoying about what we do. Yeah, I think I think it's right and I think also will be consistent within that is your your consistent evolution as a coach um and as a manager but I think you as a person so how I am as a mom, how I am as a sister, how I am as a daughter, how I am as a friend, those things are probably fairly consistent because that's who I am. Um 
and they are what ultimately defines me. But the type of coach that I am is a person who's continually trying to grow um, and help use my experiences to help develop the players and people that I work with so that we can all achieve the, the objectives of the team. Um, and, and that's where I think the identity piece comes in that, you know, I am me as, as a family person and a friend and stuff. But ultimately, um, when you go to into the coaching space, you're consistently evolving all the time. And every person you meet and encounter will bring something new out of you. They'll ask you a different question that you go, God, I didn't think of that or I love that idea or I like that thought process or you know, it's it's that's what that's what I think is brilliant about it. And it doesn't matter if I'm talking to a senior international manager or a Premier League manager or an under 11s coach or, you know, everybody you can learn from everybody. And and I, I, I just think that's the beauty of this industry is that every day you have an opportunity to learn and develop and share and, you know, because it, it is a competitive industry. It's very tough. It's competitive and results matter. But, um, you know, I, I think, you know, if you just love something, it's, um, it's easier to test yourself and push yourself. Completely agree. Last question. Talking of all of what you've just mentioned there, what are you learning about at the moment that maybe is outside of sport or is a little bit different for you? you know, often people kind of find some Wikipedia hole or a Netflix show about cooking that impacts their coaching. <laughs> what if, have you found anything recently that maybe you didn't expect that you've been able to learn from? Yeah, I, I, I actually, I started to learn Norwegian during lockdown. Um, Naturally. And because I, want, yeah, <laughs> I wanted to try something different um, because, you know, when I was working in England and at Chelsea, I learned that, you know, not everybody has the same command of the English language that we often take for granted. Um, and you know, sometimes you can be working with people like how do you communicate with people who don't hear the message the same way that you do or that you intend it to, to sound. So I've learned, it's actually been such an interesting thing, learning how to articulate things in a completely different way that I'm not used to. The same language and the same thoughts that I would, well, can I articulate it in a different language or in a different way so that it makes sense? Um and that, so that's one of the things I'm doing, um, just to try and stretch a little. Um, and uh, I'm enjoying it. But yeah, I think, um, you know, I've probably learned that to, to understand that, you know, English and our my way of delivering is not always the same way that other people receive. Um, and, you know, you have a responsibility when you coach players because they all learn and receive information in different ways. So some showing them a video will, will, will be enough. Some need you to chat through it and maybe do it on the tactics board. Some maybe need to actually walk through it on the pitch before it, but, and, and it's about understanding how everyone that you deal with receives the information that you're, that you're giving and that, and in the way that you're intending for it to be. So that's one of the things I've really enjoyed is, um, that little stretch um, about communication and, and making it harder for me to communicate so that I have to become better at it. 
have to work harder to be better at it because when you don't know the language, you have to you you have to learn a way of communicating it and and learn to speak in a different way to get that message across. That's class. Makes me think of Jesse Marsh. Um, there was a video that came out of him delivering a halftime talk in German, and um, he's talked about it since, and how that was you know, part of him being vulnerable as well for the players and kind of coming to, to their level and saying like, oh, you know, I'm learning too. And um, why Norwegian, by the way? Um, I was really fortunate with Cork City. We played Rosenberg um, yep. and um, I just loved the culture. We had also played BK Hacken um, and I just, anytime I visited Sweden or Finland or Norway and that you know the whole the whole Scandinavia I loved the culture I loved the the football environments um and it was just somewhere that I really enjoyed and uh so I thought someday now um, I'll go back there maybe and um and this time and also there was a couple of Norwegian players um at Chelsea as well and a Norwegian coach so um so now it's great because I can text in Norwegian <laughs> to practice every now and then so it's it's good, but um, but yeah, no, it's just it was a place I really liked when I was there, and they enjoyed it, and I, I just thought it was a lovely. Um, I I enjoyed the football experience there, and uh, so if it had to be one, sure, why not that one? And actually, when we were there, um, Aha, who were one of my favourite bands when I was growing up, were in the ho- were passing through the hotel when we were there preparing for the game. So I got to meet Morton Harkin. <laughs> so that was another moment that I really enjoyed. So, um, yeah, there was a few little deciding factors, shall we say. <laughs> I love it. Um, Lisa, where can people follow along with you and your coaching journey? Um, I'm, I suppose I'm on Twitter. I'm not big on Twitter. I, I'm, not a, I'm not its biggest fan, but I understand it can be really valuable. Um, so I'm on Twitter, um, Lisa Fallon Sport. Um, but but apart from that, um, that's that's probably really the 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 only place. But again, I'm not an avid tweeter, so um, unfortunately. But um, but yeah, that's probably the place. Wonderful. Thanks for jumping on with us and for uh, gifting everyone an hour of your thoughts and experience has been super valuable. And uh, like I said, I've loved keeping in touch with you over the the last couple of years and, and following your journey as well. So thanks for your time. Thanks, Cody. Hey, thanks for listening all the way to the end. A quick reminder where others won't and the tough stuff are available globally on Amazon. And if you'd like to get in touch with me, head to codyroyal.com. See you next time.